With your help, we can continue to fight for freedom. This is not possible without your generosity. Join our quest for the truth and our freedom and donate today. Simply go to TNTradio.live. Live from London with Sonia Poulton on today's News Talk TNT. Hello, world, and welcome to Thursday Sonia Poulton Show on today's News Talk TNT. I hope you are wonderful because you are simple as that, really. Let's start with a story that Gemma Cooper reported about on yesterday's show regarding the cross party of politicians coming together to cite concerns with the MHRA. They say the medicines regulator failed to highlight COVID vaccine side effects, despite being aware of them since February 2021. Well, in the wake of that, Ex-British cop Mark Sexton released a video. Mark says it's absolute nonsense what's being said. He said that the people involved knew about the issues with the experimental mRNA, but they closed down the report. He cites in particular Sir Graham Brady, whom he says met with 16 world experts, some on Zoom, but in a meeting, um, who told him to get the vaccine stopped, but he did nothing. Graham Brady is one of the people on the committee demanding answers from the MHRA. I've uh, sent a, a message to his office asking for a response. Mark says it's all a game. It's not news, not at all. He says they all knew. So make of that what you will. And talking about which make of that what you will, P. Diddy, I see yet more lawsuits are heading the way of the music mogul. It would appear that whatever he calls himself these days, Sean Combs, Puff Daddy, P. Diddy, One Love or whatever, he cannot seem to escape the multitude of allegations that grow week on week. He settled with his ex, Cassie, just before Christmas. She was suing him for an assortment of sexual abuse allegations, which he denied, but he promptly settled with her within a day. I met Puffy several times, actually, when I was a music journalist. Um, I've told this story before, so I shan't labour it. But one of them was when I went to New York to interview him and I arrived at the bad boy offices, his record label. And I was told that he was actually in his apartment. And what he had told his staff was that I should have a look around his office and get the feel of who he was. And I thought at the time, this is amazing. This guy is really incredibly transparent that he's allowing a journalist to snoop around his office. And afterwards, I thought about it and I thought, have I just been manipulated by him? I mean, it's highly likely that there were many cameras trained on me for starters while I was in his office, which was a lovely office. And it was full of all really bold phrases all around the walls and pictures of his daddy and him and his mummy. And uh, and so I did wonder whether he'd manipulated me because, you know, when somebody allows you to go into their office with nobody around, it's almost like saying I'm completely transparent. I have nothing thing to hide. And it almost lulls you into a false sense of security. Anyway, that was my thoughts about it. So I then went uh, downtown to his apartment and I arrived to find his hand bandaged up and he claimed that he'd actually crushed a, a glass by accident in his hand, as you do. Uh, there were rumours at the time that he had um, attempted suicide, but they were just rumours. Since then, of course, he has been linked with a multitude of allegations, including the deaths of his protege and the notorious B.I.G., who I also interviewed several times, and two Tupac. And uh, he's also been accused of ripping off his recording artists. He's been accused of being a sexual predator to both men and women. And these are all allegations. He has not been charged or convicted of anything. So that's important to note. 
But a new Diddy lawsuit has landed from an ex-employee claiming extensive abuse that involves rape, underage girls, forcing staff to watch porn, being touched up by Diddy and his friends, Diddy walking around naked, etc., etc. Probably way too much information that I'm not going to land on you at all. But just to say, I do think this is an important story in many respects because this is not the first accusation. It won't be the last. Some observers are comparing it to the whole R. Kelly situation, and that is people's silence was routinely bought off until, of course, the whole mute R. Kelly movement exploded. Now, don't get me wrong. There are chances out there. I've met them. The more you rise, the more people want to pull you down. It's like crabs in a bucket. As they say, new levels, new devils. But here's the thing, and many won't like it, but it's true. People have to take responsibility for what they're prepared to do to be famous. Sorry, it's absolutely true. Many people who later file lawsuits do so after they have been complicit in their own abuse. Some people are prepared to exchange many things, including their dignity for fame. That's a reality. I've seen them up close as a music journalist. Now, come on, people. It's 2024. You have been told repeatedly that the entertainment and music industry has long operated on a casting couch system. They need to repeat. You people need to reject it. You need to expose it as it's happening, not until it no longer works for you. And then you seek revenge. I'm not suggesting that all allegations are that, but some certainly are. And no, I'm not victim shaming. I'm just being real. The music industry attracts incredibly vulnerable people. That is a fact. Often very insecure people, desperate to be adored. And it also attracts predators who recognize that. People have to protect themselves better. Nothing, 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 including fame, is worth being abused for. And on that note, I'm going to go get Gemma Cooper. Keeping the commitment 24-7. I come to you for facts. I really appreciate what you and your team do. Today's News Talk Radio, TNT. It's Thursday and Gemma and I, quite coincidentally, are teeming in our colours, aren't we, Gemma? We're both in red moods. Oh, it's the end of February. Oh my gosh, it's leap year. Is this a leap year? Yes. I, I mean, are you going to ask me to marry you? <laughs> uh, I mean, if, if I was the marrying kind, you'd be as near as damn it close to it, even though I am actually straight. Having said that, I have to say <laughs> another Gemma Cooper fan appreciation letter yesterday. And I'm just going to have to paraphrase it now because I haven't got it in front of me. But it said, I wasn't aware of Gemma Cooper until I watched your show. Somebody who'd watched my previous breakfast show and then followed me over here. And Gemma, they say they are fangirling over you. Fangirling. Oh, that's nice. Great. Yes. Oh, that's lovely. That's lovely. Wonderful. Thank you. That's Wonderful. Lovely. So Thank I'm not going to ask you to marry me, but perhaps they might. Who knows? How well, are they you today? Could. Well, they could. I mean, I'm open to all proposals, but you know, Ooh. men men would no, no, no. I'm not. Men would be the proposals I would accept. Nobody's okay. ever asked me. To, <laughs> nobody's ever asked me to marry them. By the way, um, I wonder why that could possibly be. Anyway, that is not what I'm here to discuss. Your truth probably scares them. Who knows? <laughs> probably, yeah, probably. Um, well, it's a story. I mean, we talked about the police yesterday, didn't we, Sonia? We talked about the miscarriage of justice, um, and and we talked about the reputation of the police in the UK. You know, at an all time. Low in 2024 as allegations have come out, you know, so much, especially since the Wayne Everard case, Sarah Everard case, and Wayne Cousins from 
the Met Police. But, you know, yesterday a man was convicted in Scotland of a case that went back nearly 20 years uh, of, of a, a murder of, of, a, of a woman. She was a sex worker, but other women came forward as well at the time and, 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 and um, alleged this con their concerns about this man, his violence, uh, his attacks on other women. And, and police in Scotland completely dismissed them, shelved the investigation, tried to pin the whole thing on four Turkish men who were later cleared uh, and left the, the family of the victim say this man free for 20 years to attack dozens of other women, uh, to rape them, to attack them. Uh, and, and the police kind of knew he was possibly a suspect, but they say a culture of misogyny and corruption and toxicity meant that this man was free for nearly 20 years. Yesterday, he was convicted, but that was only because the investigation was reopened in 2015 under the uh, instructions of the Lord Advocate in Scotland, who's the highest kind of judge, if you like, uh, that he ordered the case to be reopened. Had that case not been reopened in 2015, uh, the original attacker from 2005 would still be free, would still be free in Scotland, free to attack women, free to murder women. He murdered uh, Emma Coldwell. That was uh, the jury findings this week, sentenced to 36 years minimum yesterday. The family, whilst they say they're relieved, they say it, they are absolutely distraught. The police have got to explain how they let this man go. And they're very upfront. The mum says the police have got blood on their hands. The fact is, dozens of other women came forward at the time when this man was a suspect in Emma Coldwell's murder. Her body was found dumped in a remote forest not far outside of Glasgow. Um, and, and the women, they say, were routinely dismissed uh, humiliated. In one instance, woman was arrested and, and, and accused of being a prostitute herself. She wasn't. Emma Caldwell was a sex worker, but her solicitor yesterday said it doesn't matter what the woman's status is, what her addictions or vulnerabilities may be, or what class of society she comes from. She's never, it's never an excuse for sexual violence or for murder, or for rape, or for anything, or being treated as a second-class citizen, which is what the family are accusing the police of. They say it's a widespread culture of toxicity, corruption, and misogyny. We've heard a lot of similar stories since, 20 years on. Uh, police Scotland have issued a huge grovelling apology, saying mistakes were made in 2005. Uh, the culture has changed, especially in recent years, and they do a lot more to help vulnerable women now. But have they? Has the culture in UK policing changed? Because we have seen very similar cases come out and just so recently in the last couple of years. You know, is this case an example, like we were discussing yesterday, Sonia, of another attitude of the police towards this time, not black people, but women? You know, has the culture of the police changed? We are hearing more and more stories coming out. And this story happened 20 years ago. She was murdered and dumped and left in the forest. Her killer was left to go free, even though there were lots of allegations it was him. How many other cases going back beyond 20 years were like this, especially with the police's attitude uh, towards sex workers and prostitutes? You know, did they just see them as disposable members of society, not worth investigating? Mm -hmm. Let's see what happens. Uh, the Scottish government have promised an inquiry. First Minister Yusuf Hamza has said he will meet the family. Inquiries are toothless. We all know that. Look at the UK COVID inquiry. Nothing ever comes of them. In the meantime, the family say at least... There's justice. At least he's behind bars today, but it should have happened 20 years ago. Oh, my gosh. What dreadful story. Absolutely dreadful. I have to say, I'd like to add to that, that I do think that there has obviously long been an issue with police attitudes and victim shaming towards prostitutes. You don't have to. I mean, like historically. So Jack the Ripper, Yorkshire Ripper, Steve Wright, the Norwich prostitutes. I mean, it goes on and on that there are there were issues uh, between the police and how they looked at these victims. And they are victims, as you say, Gemma, it's absolutely irrelevant what they are doing 
doing. These are people who, you know, they're, they're victims. They've been murdered. So it is obviously highly problematic. That said, I'm going to try and be extremely fair here. I wouldn't want to be a cop. It's hard, isn't it? Policing is really, really hard. I mean, you know, in many respects, it's quite similar to journalism. I wouldn't want to be a cop. It's hard, isn't it? Policing is really, really hard. I mean, you know, in many respects, it's quite similar to journalism, you know, especially investigative journalism. And uh, it is difficult. You can get it wrong. But sometimes I think there is a drive to fulfill targets. And we have to look at why this culture is allowed to exist. We had Dave Eden on recently. He is a former Met whistleblower. He's been involved in a number of, um, you know, exposing situations. And one of them, he was the cop responsible for exposing uh, Metropolitan Police, what they were saying in WhatsApp groups, including on the day that Wayne Cousins was arrested for Sarah Everard. And it was Dave who saw the meme in this WhatsApp group. And honestly, Gemma, it was horrible. It had six images of women. It was how to kidnap and rape women. In, and the police were exchanging this in WhatsApp groups. And as you say, that's recently. So how much has the culture really changed? Well, quite. I mean, you know, you want to be charitable. You want to believe the police, you know, Police Scotland, have, their statement is, you know, lengthy. You can find it online of all the things they're doing to address these types of issues that they can. That's the boss of the police force, you know, well, assistant chief constable rather saying that, you know, they can say what they like. Changing a culture Changing a culture of an organization like the police, it's a bit like the army, the military in any country. They're very difficult cultures to change because when you enter those organizations, you're encouraged to adopt the behaviors and the values of that particular organizational culture. Otherwise, you won't fit in and you won't likely last very long. And I did see that in the BBC towards the latter stages of my career. I saw very bright young journalists come in. If they questioned the way the BBC was run, they didn't get past their initial six-month probation. I saw that firsthand. And I'm sure that is the same in all other public sector organizations because public sector organizations funded by the taxpayer keep the wheels of our country turning. So they have to operate a certain way, otherwise there would be chaos. And I think the police is very much subject to that. And the example, that horrific example that you've just illustrated, the fact that that could happen on a WhatsApp message means it's completely acceptable. It's not a lone gunman. That is a culture. That's a cultural thing. So I don't know. I find that I find this story myself particularly distressing um, going through this this morning and reading the details of the case, uh, you know, in forensic analysis to look at the whole facts of the matter. And the way that the other women that came forward after Emma Coldwell's murder to say this man, Ian Packer, we think it's him. You know, he's got a reputation for being violent. He's got a reputation with sex workers and other women um, of being, you know, a, a wrong un. And they were just humiliated and dismissed that the allegations weren't even followed up. Uh, had this case not been reopened in 2015, he would still be at large. He'd still be at large. Uh, that's the most scary thing about this, I think. I do sometimes wonder whether there are background connections that we're completely unaware of. For example, Freemasonry, as one example, we know that that has existed before where police have allowed fellow Freemasons to go free. You know, I, I'm just wondering aloud. I'm not suggesting for a second that there, there is any truth to what I'm saying, but I do know that it has happened in other situations. But thank you, Gemma. Absolutely awful story. I just feel so sorry for all of the victims involved, of course, including Emma's loved ones. This has been Thursday's episode with with Gemma Cooper. And this is why you're all fangirling over her. Good job I'm not the jealous type, eh? Right. Um, Gemma, you're not with us tomorrow, are you? Oh, I'm I'm I I have a prior commitment tomorrow. Um, but I'll be back Monday. Sorry, folks. Go, Sonia. There you go. She'll be back Monday. Take good care of yourself, Gemma. Have a great weekend. Right, we'll be back very shortly.
TNT's Misty Winston. We've really seen uh, the the attacks on press freedom have always existed. Powerful people do not like their secrets exposed. Um, that's a no-brainer, right? And so th there's always been attacks on press freedom. However, there has been a significant and marked increase. I think really um, it started kicking off really under Bush, but certainly under Obama. That It really went into hyperdrive. T uh, Trump took that and just absolutely ran with it. Um, I mean, he's the guy that had Assange arrested. Um, that really sets an unbelievable precedent just in general. And so now we're starting to see it spiral out of control. Misty Winston on today's News Talk TNT. Affordable housing, we can build that. Sustainable housing, we can build that. At MIT Modular, we understand the importance of housing for all and the importance of design, cost, and functionality. Our goal is to meet the needs of our growing population by converting shipping containers to livable units. If you're like-minded and in a position to invest in something meaningful and life-changing, we want to hear from you. We are a team of professional architects, engineers, and financial and tax experts dedicated to offering unique solutions that provide a brighter future. Our Opportunity Zone Fund offers investors both real estate and operating business diversification five-year tax deferral on capital gains, annual tax benefits, and ultimately tax-free appreciation potential. There are opportunity zones all over America. If you're interested in learning more about our services, need affordable housing, or want to participate in creating a new vision for tomorrow, give us a call in the U.S. on 385-985-5702 or read more at MITModular.com. MIT Modular. We can build that. So many people who had no history of heart illnesses have got it now, or blood clotting after the COVID-19 vaccination. Punish those who hurt people with COVID madness. Lighting the fuse for freedom. TNT Radio. And Gemma, of course, as usual, have got you all talking. We've got messages coming in from all platforms. Good morning to you on Rumble and YouTube, on on Twitter, sorry, X, on Instagram, and of course, in our live chat. Uh, Shug says, I don't know, Sonia, with reference to the police. The selection process seems to find the ones that revel in cruelty. Ah, oh, Shug, I don't want to be that cynical. I want to believe that there are genuinely people who enter the police force because they want to do good. I have met some good cops. I've worked with good cops. So I know that, that, that they, but I also know it's not just one rotten apple as well, as uh, Gemma so rightly says, there is a culture going on there that has to be dealt with. Absolutely it does. And talking about cultures that have to be dealt with, what about elections? We have a big by-election coming up today in England. It's the Rochdale by-election. And joining me to talk about this and other Important Matters is Craig Tipple from The Rant Till We Can't. Substack, blog, whatever you want to call it. Good morning, Craig. How are you? Morning, Sonia. Yeah, I'm all right. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me on. Good. Well, it's good to have you back with us again. So we have, so you, you're joining me for, for the review, Craig, which I greatly appreciate. So as I say, we have this Rochdale by-election coming up. And the reason why it's sort of big news is because, well, Rochdale is infamous in its own right. It is, of course, the sort of the seat, the heart of where we heard all about the grooming gangs um, that Maggie Oliver exposed. We had Maggie Oliver, obviously, on the show recently, ex uh, 
Greater Manchester um, police detective. And this is a really interesting one because you have people like media personality George Galloway. He's in it. Uh, Simon Danchuk, a former Labour MP who exposed a lot to do with paedophiles uh, within the British establishment. Rochdale, of course, it's uh, a town um, um, in the north of England. It's There's large deprivation there, as I say. There's, it's been associated with grooming gangs. And they're actually saying that this particular particular election, interestingly, Craig, is not really so much about England, but about Gaza and Israel. What are your thoughts about what is going on in Rochdale today? Well, first of all, if you're not wanting cynicism, uh, you've probably got the wrong person. I've become really cynical <laughs> over the last few years. <laughs> well, haven't we all? Um, <laughs> um, first of all, yeah, I'm, I'm always learning about this kind of stuff. So I have looked at the Rochdale thing since our exchange yesterday. Um, and I've when it comes to um, local people choosing an MP to represent them, I suppose um, if local people, I've, I'm a mixed bag of views on this, by the way. So first of all, if, if the people of Rochdale are kind of saying, you know, we want our MP, um, you know, don't worry about us, we're fine. We want you to focus on helping people in Gaza. Then I suppose far be it from me or anybody to sort of say what the people of Rochdale should be asking for of the local MP. But I right, am surprised, right. um, you know, because you'd think after the last four years, um, and the state we're in here as well is that, you know, we, we might save our local MP with, you know, middle class wiped out, all the shops shut, wealth being transferred over to the politicians and um, and and big business. You'd think that you'd be wanting to ask your MP to, to sort of sort us out first and then we can try and help people who are thousands of miles away. But jumping, uh, you know, when it comes to genocide and things like that, of course, we're all on. It's very easy to, to support um, an MP who's going to fight against genocide, of course. Um, but I mean, it's str strangely, the, I mean, there are other genocides, you know, in, in, in the Western part of China, yes, the Uyghurs, I think are still being subjected to genocide by the Chinese Communist Party, but it seems as if we're quite selective over what genocide we're going to focus on and which ones we're not. So at first I was a little bit dubious because I was thinking, well, is, is perhaps this uh, like, uh, trying to win points by focusing on Gaza, because that seems to be the popular genocide at the moment. Um, but I think, uh, unless I've been misled, there have been a few things on, when I was looking on Twitter X, um, that George Galloway has kind of been invo involved in this particular debate for quite some time, so maybe he's oh, not. Yeah. Um, yeah, so maybe he's not quite trying to just win points, but perhaps because it's the popular one at the moment, he is receiving a bit of attention um, and support from people who seem to be quite loyal to him in Rochdale. Um but another thing that I think about is that politicians, in my opinion, are a little bit like tools in every sense of the word, I suppose. Um, but in, in in regards to the fact that they're, you know, they're there to do a job, but we become quite loyal to them. We don't we don't become loyal to a hammer and start using it to try and unscrew a screw. We just change to a screwdriver if we need to get a particular job done. But we seem to be quite loyal to politicians. And even if they do something that we don't agree with, I was just looking at a video that Charlotte put up um, in December 23, where George Galloway was was saying that he would have been much more like the Chinese Communist Party when it comes to lockdowns and, and, and vaccines and stuff like that. And you just think, well, is that something that I'd want of a local MP? Um, right. Yeah, Probably he not, was again. totally pro-COVID narrative, which was very disappointing yeah. because on so many other things, he's really very 
free thinking, but he absolutely buckled down to that narrative. So it was disappointing. But just let, let me just have a look at some of these candidates. They're very interesting and controversial. Ali Azhar has already been in the um, mainstream media because he was Labour's candidate and they've now essentially uh, withdrawn their support of him because he had come out saying Israelis knew beforehand that the uh, October 7th attack was going to happen. Um, and he's been very critical of Israel and Labour can't have that, of course, because Labour is completely compromised by its involvement with Friends of Israel. So they absolutely, and that is the thing is so many politicians, Craig, are actually compromised by their involvement with Friends of Israel and being financed um, by Israeli lobby groups. So that is a problem, obviously. But uh, yeah, George Galloway has absolutely been involved in this issue for many years, to give him credit for many years. But he's also seen a gap in the market. He's a politician. He's a media personality. He's very savvy. I've met George several times. I've, he's interviewed me. And, he, you know, he knows what he's doing. And I was watching a video this morning in which the locals were saying, yeah, I'm going to vote for George Galloway because even though we have deprivation in our town, there is a genocide happening over in, on the other part of the world and we should all be impacted by it. But, you know, what you said at the start, and I think it's important, really, and that is this is England. And are, are not the constituents more interested in the fact that, you know, they may be struggling to to meet their gas bill, seeing as British gas, for example, of recorded record profits and, you know, their council tax and their, their all their utilities and their food, et cetera. These things are also surely of interest to the electorate. Yeah. And, uh, and, and some people might say, well, oh, yes, yeah, so our electricity bill has gone up, but we're talking about genocide here. But I think right. but I think when you think about what we've done, what, what we've seen in the UK, the people probably responsible for what's going on in Gaza right now are also the same people that have attacked us here in the UK and continue to attack us in a number of different ways. And if we can't defend ourselves, how do we expect to be able to defend people overseas? Um, so mm. I, I've, as, as I, I know that you've mentioned or you looked at um something i wrote yesterday in a in a substack um, oh i which... did we're going to come to that very very shortly right. let us <laughs> let us go oh it's brilliant absolutely brilliant you're going to love this people um let us go to some news headlines and we will be right back and discuss what craig has been busy writing now tnt Wonderful. radio news it's hot tea it's very hot it's hot news so hot yeah it's hot news Hot news! Matt Boyland here with your TNT headlines. It's been revealed the word peace wasn't mentioned once in this week's meeting of European leaders and Western officials who met in Paris to discuss the war in Ukraine. I was very surprised that there was not a single word about any peace plan or peace initiative. And the African nation of Mali is strengthening its ties with Moscow and turning to Russia for help after the UN failed to restore peace and stability in the country. Why not give TNT Radio a follow? We're on all major social platforms, including Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Gab, and Getter. Help us get the word out as we cover the biggest topics of our time right here on today's News Talk. TNT Radio. TNT Radio.
We do indeed cover the biggest topics of our time. TNT is unique, absolutely, broadcasting 24-7 and independently so, and we need your help to do that. If you are able, please donate to us. Go to the website. The donate button is at the top of the page next to the contact, and there are a multitude of ways to support TNT. That is, you can go to the merch store. Loads of brilliant merchandise there. Also, please keep sharing. Keep, keep sharing our videos. Keep talking about us. Join the conversation. Every little bit helps. And we're not making record profits like Tesco either to say that. Right. I'm here today with the very lovely Craig Tipple. He's a commentator. He also spent six years in China once. Uh, very interesting individual. He writes a sub sack called Rant Till We Can't. And uh, uh, so, Craig, we've just been talking about the Rochdale by-election. And one of the things you said to me yesterday, and you just uttered it again, you're absolutely right. The truth is, is there are ne not always hard and fast answers to things. That is the reality. You know, there, there, are lot, you, there are lots of thoughts that you can have when you think about the Palestinian flag, for one example. So I completely take your point. I don't believe that there are any hard and fast answers about whether, you know, it, there should be an issue about a northern town voting based on a genocide that is taking place in another part of the world. So, which brings us, of course, to what you were writing yesterday. And I read it and I thought it was absolutely a wonderful piece of writing, Craig. I really did. And it's about uh, Mao's cultural revolution in the West. And and you, so what you compare, uh, no, I'm not going to explain it. I'm going to have Craig explain to you what he has <laughs> been writing. That's the easy cop out. But actually, I don't want to, I don't want to miss out the importance of your message here. So Craig, take it away. Yeah, I, I, you know, these are just thoughts that I have. I mean, all we are are people that go out there and get experience for ourselves and then we bring it back and put the information on the table. And that's what it's all about, isn't it? Just putting everything on the table and then we just look at it and decide what's true and what isn't rather than having um, information given to us that's already been redacted and we're told this is misinformation, this isn't. So all I do is just try and think out loud about the things that I've learned as I've gone along and not all of it will be accurate. I mean, I'm, I'm always learning. But when it comes to Mao's cultural revolution, one thing, I, um, one thing I learned is that he was losing his grip on power. And again, if I've misunderstood anything, I'm always interested in being corrected. But when he was when he was actually losing his grip on power, he actually he actually decided to use uh, state media and other tools available to him to sort of divide people against themselves. Um, and then they were fighting themselves rather than fighting where they should have been fighting. And it just seems familiar to me now. Um, I've, I've probably put it a lot better in writing because I don't uh, I'm much better at writing stuff down than I am speaking, funnily enough. But um, but it's just there's a lot that's become familiar to me now. When I look at our government, we're in the middle of an information war. That that is that is a fact, um, and we our reality is formed by the information we receive, and the majority of the information we receive is from the mainstream media. So whenever you get people who are saying something that's contrary to the mainstream media, um, they're sort of living in an alt reality at the moment. Is the way I put it in the, the writing is that it's sort of running alongside them, alongside the main reality. And politicians have actually started calling people who oppose their narrative terrorists even recently right. um right. And, and saying that we're using misinformation to undermine uh the truth which is what they say the mainstream media speaks but then the mainstream media uh, uh sorry but then just to say that this actually does again 
uh, make me think about Mao's cultural revolution, where he he labels people who questioned his power, um, people who were against China, and people were loyal to to China as a thing. Um, so so that then you had the Red Guard, and you had people sort of like attacking or killing teachers and dragging people out who were scholars in chains to be ridiculed. And it just all seems very familiar to me over the last four years um, when we see people who've spent their life in science, doctors who are suddenly now branded as conspiracy theorists and terrorists. And I'm just wondering where it's leading to um, when you know anything about Mao's cultural revolution. You just wonder, is that where we're heading? And you can't rule anything out these days after what we've seen. So. No, there's nothing new under the sun, as the old uh, comment goes. Now, you say first, I think this is interesting. You talk about two realities sort of coexisting. You're saying there's the reality in which the majority exists, and there is an alt-reality in which I would say I now exist. That's interesting. What's that alt-reality? It sounds science fiction, this, and it really isn't, because mm -hmm. it's just, you know, we we... Like I mentioned in the video that I put on the substack, you know, if there's a glass of water here and my five senses can see this glass of water and you corroborate that, well, then that's reality. And anybody who says that the glass doesn't exist, um, we would say is living in a different world. Like there obviously there's something wrong with them. The brain understands everything secondhand, doesn't it? It's our five senses that pass that information through. So if we were drugged, then maybe they wouldn't see that and they're hallucinating or whatever. Um, and it's exactly the same when it comes to the information we're fed from the media, because, you know, I can see everything that's going on in this room. My five senses tell me that. But if it's happening outside the room, then I rely on the media to to basically build a reality for me. Um, and if the media, we always thought the media was independent. We talk about freedom of the press, but I think that's a double edged sword. And I think um, we've seen those comedy clips on online of when you've seen all of these media outlets back to back, but they're saying word for word the exact same thing. So whoever's funding them is essentially creating reality for all of us. And if you, like I just mentioned about, you know, the glass of water or whatever, if you actually oppose what people see as reality, then you're mental uh, or you're a conspiracy theorist or you're an anti-vaxxer. Or you're an, and, and so I live in an alt reality, which which perhaps was only inhabited previously by people like David Icke, uh, who, you know, we've always been encouraged to ridicule. Um, and, you know, in the video, I mentioned something about, you know, a, a hermit on the top of a hill screaming about the end of the world. You know, these people are always people that we've been encouraged to ridicule. And yet, when you move into that reality, it all mm. seems perfectly sane. And you start looking at the real world and you start looking at Rishi Sunak saying vaccines are safe. Uh, categorically safe or whatever it was he said and we see people dying every day and you just think well you know it's what is insane anymore you know you know my insane that's right so. we're the sane ones the, it, I, I, I now my kind of go-to is the moment that they start to call you insane you're probably on the right track but one of the things that you absolutely mm. you've just alluded to now and you talk about is this whole idea of a single source of information and I think that's very interesting because as the world has expanded in many respects it's gotten smaller hasn't it and now obviously with the you know sort of information technology highway and the fact that we can all link up and globalism globalism is hugely responsible for this and you talk about uh, obviously a lot of it emanating for example from the world economic forum and that is that's like a single source of information of which they're all reading from the same script right 
Well, we, we we already know that the politicians that we call public servants, you know, those multimillionaires that serve us, <laughs> um, they, we already know that they are members of the World Economic Forum. We already know that politicians from across the spectrum of political parties that are meant to represent our interests all attend Davos. Um, and we already know that they paid the media over £500 million in 21 or something, wasn't it? So... Uh, we're, we, we're no longer needing to join dots. The bigger picture is there, isn't it? We can see it. Yes. It's just doing something about it that we seem to have a problem with. Yes, um, it's in, in plain sight now, isn't it? Absolutely in plain it, sight. Yeah. They don't even bother trying to hide it. They hold it up in oh. front of our faces and say, oh, look how much money we spent during COVID to scare you with outrageous posters. You know, So they don't hide it. It's not hidden. The agenda is not hidden at all. It really isn't, is it? Um, and yeah, and when you um, when you think that the um, the information that they give us is all um, sorry, I've lost my train of thought there now, Sonia. I was just thinking oh, there about oh, just about the World Economic Forum and how it's a single source of information and and how it's all in plain sight. I mean, it is all in plain sight. That's the reality, isn't it? Yes. Um, and so, you know, when they're actually giving us information that forms our reality, then we're, we're, we're literally going to behave because it affects us. I think it's an evolutionary thing, actually. I think the fact that we can all exchange information means that we're responsible for scrutinizing and critically thinking about things and determining what truth is. Um, but obviously, if somebody else is doing that on our behalf, then we're all going to think the same thing. Was it Trudeau recently who saw us? He was he was complaining about people spreading misinformation and undermining the the, the mainstream <laughs> media. It's very easy yes. to control the mainstream media when you're paying them. Yes, absolutely. Uh, but, Do you remember that comment from Jacinda Arden during COVID where she was like, we are your single source of information? You couldn't get yeah. closer to the Ministry of Truth if you tried, really. <laughs> yeah, and it's and it's crazy, isn't it? Because if you think of it, is, if it is an evolutionary thing whereby we've all exchanged information with each other and therefore we're all omniscient because we, we know everything that our little, you know, if we're all individual nodes going out there into the world to collect information and bring it back, then we're omniscient because we know what everybody knows. But then if you've got a... You've, if you've got uh, people who are saying, well, don't listen to him because he's a, an anti-vaxxer, don't listen to him because he's a bigot or a racist, don't listen to then you can very easily control what information people have and thus what their reality is, and, and it's very easy to control them. And it sounds very conspiratorial, doesn't it? I mean, a couple of years ago, somebody listening to this might have thought you're a conspiracy. I think anybody using the word conspiracy theory these days is... Is, is is probably still in that is controlled opposition <laughs> or, or is controlled opposition exactly <laughs> listen craig greatly appreciate you joining us this morning oh it was brilliant to hear your take on everything people i absolutely implore you go check out craig's Substack. it's fascinating he's a wonderful writer and great experience as i say having lived in china for six years this everybody is craig tipple and uh, this is thursday and the sonia Poulton show and i will be back shortly Give me a minute with TNT Radio's Steve Malsberg. This past Saturday, before the South Carolina primary results were in, Donald Trump was at CPAC and he addressed the consequences of Joe Biden letting the illegal invasion into this country. It's migrant crime. It's a new category of crime. And I wanted to call it Biden migrant crime, but it's too long. So we just call it migrant crime. We have a new category, migrant crime, and it's going to be more severe than violent crime and crime as we knew it. Because we have millions and millions of people, and they came from prisons and jails. They came from mental institutions and insane asylums. No, they're not the same thing. An insane asylum 
is a mental institution on steroids, okay? It's uh, Silence of the Lambs, okay? You know that. Hannibal Lecter! And here was his finishing touch. They're all being deposited into our country, and then you have terrorists, and then you have drugs, and then you have human traffickers, and they're coming over at levels never seen before. We've never seen anything like this. Vintage Donald Trump telling it like it is, the reason he walloped Nikki Haley on Saturday in South Carolina. Thanks for giving me a minute. I'm Steve Malzberg. Catch my show Monday through Friday, 9 p.m. Eastern, right here on TNT. My dad was a farmer. The guy was bigger than life. He wasn't someone that liked to show his emotion or liked to show when he was struggling, but we all struggle. I want to show emotion to my kids. It's something that brings me so much joy and I want them to see me working through things. Allow your kids to know that it's okay to struggle, that even dad doesn't know the answer sometimes, but we're gonna figure it out together. Live from London with Sonia Poulton on today's News Talk TNT. The rather wonderful Craig Tipple has got you all talking. And Jules on X says, Keir Starmer, who said he'd rather be in Davos than Westminster, went through the whole repertoire during yesterday's PMQs. Right-wing, conspiracy theorists, flatter society, Tim hats, and deep state. Amazing, he managed to keep a straight face indeed. Well, I'm going to be discussing with my next guest something else that also happened in Parliament yesterday. And I'm delighted to be joined by Jim Ferguson. He's a former parliamentarian candidate with the Brexit party in Barnsley. He's a businessman. He's an entrepreneur. He's the founder, founder of Freedom Train International. And he's a very busy tweeter, extremely busy. Good morning to you, Jim. How are you doing? Good morning, Sonia. I'm doing great. Lovely to be here. Nice to see you. Wonderful to have you with us. We've got so many great things to talk about. You are somebody who keeps abreast, frankly, of all world news, which is absolutely wonderful. So let's start off with something that you were on to, I think, way ahead of the curve, and that is to do with the potential criminality of the British Prime Minister, Rishi Sunak. You say there's, uh, it says here, evidence to be presented that criminal activity has been committed by, by the very top of government in the UK. Can you expand on that for us, Jim? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so we identified the fact that uh, others had, had found out that Richie Sunak had invested an extremely large sum of money uh, into Moderna, but it was actually the way that he did it that was also particularly interesting because he did it in an offshore uh, tax haven called the Cayman Islands. And the sum of money involved was $500 million, not a small amount. And of course, that was put into a company that he helped to set up called Thelim Partners. And then the money was funneled into Moderna from there. But the interesting thing about Moderna at that point in time, because we're going back a number of years ago, was that they had never manufactured a successful product. They'd never managed to launch anything or made anything successful. That was a massive sum of money for Richie Sunak to invest in a company that had no track record of profitable uh, enterprise. And the other thing about it, of course, is that he stood up in the parliament, in, in the British parliament, and he insisted that the vaccines were safe and effective and doesn't want to talk about the rising excess deaths, Sonia. So I had an interview with a British member of parliament called Andrew Bridgen. And in that interview, I talked to him about this and he basically told me something that wasn't public news at that point. And he went on to say that he actually was preparing and collating a large file of evidence 
that was going to be presented to Mark Rowley, who's the head of the London Metropolitan Police, because in his opinion, criminal activity has been taking place, not just by Richie Sunak, but by other members of the civil service and government. Very, very serious accusations. And of course, the other thing that's of particular note, which I've reported on before, is that the former head of MI6, Sir Alex Younger, uh, did a, a briefing. He put out a short video on the National Securities Act. <clears throat> now, the National Security Act is designed to go after people who are working in secret with foreign powers for uh, money or profit or you know other illegal types of activity that causes harm to the British people. Now, uh, I discussed this act with Andrew Bridgen, the, the, the Member of Parliament as well, and he was of the opinion that, in fact, Richie Sunak may have breached this act. Uh, Alex Younger, the former head of MI6, has made it very clear in that short video that I put out that if you do this, you are breaking the law and you will face criminal prosecution. So I think in light of what's going on around the world, there are Australian senators, Australian Senator Babbitt, who I know that you've uh, recently interviewed, uh, as well yes, as many I? others. Yeah. yeah. who Great great interview, by the way. He's a great guy. Thank you. Uh, Thank and you. and uh, it was a really, really good interview. So, yeah, there's a lot of things happening, Sonia. Uh, very, very serious, potentially, because it does lead into the potential for a much darker agenda that's bordering on the dark side of eugenics. And if that's in fact the case as well, then this could be very, very serious for Sunak indeed and those who went along with it. This could be really phenomenal. I mean, I think this would be the first time in history, wouldn't it? A criminal charge um, against a serving and sitting prime minister. I can't think of any other time when such a thing would have occurred. And we do know that Rishi Sunak is greatly involved in uh, finances, in business, certainly his wife, for example, and Infosys. And uh, I think actually he is the wealthiest prime minister ever to come to power. But obviously, correct me if I'm wrong, but I, I think that is actually accurate and correct. So, Jim, talking about Andrew Bridgen, he has a lawsuit, doesn't he, to do with Matt Hancock. Is that still going ahead? Yes. Yeah, so that's taking place uh, on Friday, the 1st of March at the wow. Royal Court of Justice. And of course, this is relating to Andrew Bridgen when he was a member of the Conservative Party, where he stood up and said, look, you know, I'm concerned about these COVID vaccines, their their safety, would like a public debate into what's actually in them. You know, very, very reasonable um, call from a, a, an MP and his constituents were asking about it. So he was representing them in Parliament as a good MP should. But uh, Matt Hancock attacked him, uh, said that he was an anti-Semite. Uh, all that Andrew had done was quote from a Jewish scientist. Uh, There's nothing anti-Semitic about Andrew at all. And of course, Richie Sunak ran with that, threw him out of the Conservative Party. So he's been um, charged now with a, a case of defamation, which could potentially be very, very serious for Matt Hancock, considering what he said. Now, it's my understanding that Matt Hancock has said, well, the, the case shouldn't go ahead because I didn't actually mention or name Andrew Bridgen. But that, that's it's, not it's how defamation clear. laws work. <laughs> it's not. It's not. It looks like he's trying to wriggle out of it, Sonia, but uh, I don't mm. think he will. I think Andrew, Andrew Bridgen, uh, I've watched him for a long time. He's he's one of these sort of bulldog Churchillian type guys that just won't let it go. He's a tough cookie. You know, he's a really tough guy and he's a hero, truly a hero to many people in not just in Britain, but around the world for the stance that he's taking because he's gone through some some hard knocks from the Dirty Tricks Brigade within the British government. 
but he's still soldiering on and we we do, do support him and we appreciate everything that he's doing. It's very difficult. He's sort of just solo out there. And even people who've been critical about him of his support, obviously, his former support of the jabs and lockdown and everything. It's very difficult. There has to come a point where, you know, if he's the one voice speaking out, we, you know, we have to, to a degree, support that. I know that's difficult for some people, but it, but it sort of is what it is. Jim, let me move you on to something else that is happening right now. And that is these farming protests, Welsh farmers gathered in Cardiff to protest, obviously, um, about all manner of things. And there are different reasons for the protesting that's taking place. I was watching a film this morning, but primarily it sort of hinges on this whole idea of a public system of payment, the sustainable farming scheme that would pay farmers uh, certain um, amounts of money to meet certain conditions, such as having 10% of farmland for habitat. And it's this is key, everybody. It was quoted this morning that all of this needs to take place by 2030. Well, we all know what's happening for 2030 UN sustainable goals and that's really what what I think is is taking place here but what's your understanding of the Welsh farmer protest Jim well they're starting to get organized and there's some serious numbers being talked about uh, I put out some posts yesterday about that there's a, a lot of heavy equipment being lined up of course the big difference between the farming protests that we've seen starting in Wales but in particular on the continent especially in France and Germany um, uh, is 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 unprecedented because when you have protests like the Julie Jean or the Yellow Jackets in France facing up against lines of riot police, they don't really stand much of a chance. What we've seen with these heavy machines, though, is that they just knock the barricades out of the way. Water cannon is ineffective. Rubber bullets don't work. And if the farmers really chose to, they could overturn those water cannons. Uh, I've seen them push armoured vehicles completely out of the way. And of course, they get sprayed with liquid manure, which is pretty unpleasant. And the police tend to run very quickly when that happens. So if they really chose, uh, they, they could really, really shut down Wales. And of course, if the UK farmers start to see that happening, because there's been there's been some small sort of groups in Scotland and various other places talking about doing some things, but it hasn't really gone on yet. Um, I'm just waiting for Jeremy Clarkson to come out in his Lamborghini tractor and lead the movement with over 7 million followers on Twitter alone. He would be the rallying call. He would be the wow. voice to lead. And if that happened, I think the whole country would come out in support of the farmers. Whether he will or not, we don't know. But I've certainly called for it. And I think he's aware of what I've said. So we'll, we'll wait and see. But uh, I wish the Welsh farmers great success. I may be heading to Wales to support them. Ooh. We'll have to wait and see. Uh, I was over in Ireland a few weeks ago, uh, taking place in a march there to support the Irish people. So I'm very happy to come down to Wales as well. We'll see what happens from there. But yes, it's looking like it's going to kick off. Really interesting. Some of the farmers that I was listening to in the report today, they're saying we're struggling to survive now and this is going to make it harder. They're saying that the fact is land would be taken out of production, jobs lost. And the whole plan is that the land would be used to mitigate climate change. There it is. That's the key thing, isn't it, Jim? That's what's really going on here. It's all about this net zero target, which I'm not entirely sure where you stand on it. But I think the whole thing is a scam personally. What's your position? Total scam. Look, the World Economic Forum are a, a very extremely deeply sinister organization that are working in lockstep with the World Health Organization, the United Nations, 
And you talked about the 2030 agenda. If people realise what that actually is, they would be horrified because, mm -hmm. uh, in fact, I may do 24, 25 points in the UN agenda. Yes, this is all about control. They're, they're looking to ultimately put farmers off their land, as they've done in Holland, with over 3,000 farms being expropriated, seized, in other words, forcibly. And um, we, we need to take a stand to support our farmers because what the World Economic Forum run by Klaus Schwab wants is total control of the food supplies. If they can force people into compliance by saying, do what we say or you don't eat, then that's really where they're going with this. And don't make any, don't underestimate them one bit. It's got nothing to do with the environment. It's all about controlling us, the people. And uh, they are a very sinister organisation. You just need to watch and look at what he wears. He looks like something out of uh, Emperor Palpatine's wardrobe <laughs> in Star Wars. He, you know, <laughs> people laugh at him, but he is quite a dangerous guy. I think he's insane. No, true. <clears throat> Absolutely true. And the thing is, I, I think, Jim, if we were having this conversation like five years ago, there'd be much more people saying, oh, this is just pure conspiracy theory. But we have now seen that you can get your neighbours to rat on each other for going out for half an hour longer each day. You know, we, we've seen people fighting over loo rolls in supermarkets, right? So we've seen how people behave when this sort of pressure comes down. So, yeah, I think this is going to be, this is very interesting development. And, uh, Jim, if you do go to join the protest, we'd love to get a report from you. I think that would be absolutely brilliant to have Jim at the centre of the protest reporting for TNT, personally. I'm totally for that. Right, let's talk about somebody else who is a control freak. Got to be Justin Trudeau in Canada. I, yeah. This man does actually genuinely scare me because he's obviously, like, so he's got such a weft mindset, hasn't he? He's got a new yeah. bill which is being yeah. introduced by him, potentially make it possible that you could even receive a life in prison for posting quote unquote online hate ostensibly this bill again like the British one is about protecting minors just as they said the same didn't they but in reality it is an attack on free speech the online harm act would amend Canada's current criminal code by increasing the maximum punishment for advocating genocide from five years to life in prison and it also adds and I think this is the really really worrying one Jim for me personally offence motivated by hate. What are your thoughts about this bill? Well, you're absolutely right in what you're saying about him. He's a thoroughly unpleasant individual, and I feel terribly for the people in Canada. You know, I was in Ottawa a, a few months ago. Uh, I met many members of the Freedom Convoy there, from Chris Barber to, to Tamara Litch and various others. Uh, they're fantastic people, but my goodness, they had a hard time with Trudeau. He is a dictator. They they call him uh, Justin Castro, you know, as in uh, uh, Castro the dictator, because they think he actually might be his father. But the point is... Uh, he is a thoroughly evil individual. And what the whole bill is designed to do is to have what's called a chilling effect by by putting this out there with potential massive fines for people, depending on how it's interpreted. And that's the thing. It's so vague. It could be interpreted in any way. And they've done that deliberately to cause that chilling effect so that journalists, independent media are worried and frightened about reporting anything that might right be uh, deemed, uh, you know, hate speech. And this is what's coming. That's why Freedom Train International was set up. I decided to do that over a year ago. That's why I made contact with the Canadians initially. Then it started in America. Then it went to Australia, New Zealand. Now it's in France, the UK and Germany. And the reason for it, Sonia, is to create that safety net because I knew way back then that they were going to try to censor and shut people down we've seen it over the pattern of the last three four years but it's going to get worse they've attacked rumble in france 
Now they've attacked Telegram in France. Once again, Emmanuel Macron is another World Economic Forum member and devotee of Davos. So what we have to do is create that safety net and keep people united and in communication around the world. And just to on your other point, yes, if I go to Wales, I love TNT. I think you guys and TNT Radio are fabulous. And uh, I'd be more than happy to give you an exclusive report if I do actually head down that way. So we'll wait and see. But yeah, the people in Canada, the people in Australia had it the worst out of everybody. Um, they, they were really brutalized uh, with, with very, very violent police officers, those that were unleashed. The other thing, Sony, is that people don't realize, I didn't realize this until quite recently, that Trudeau had actually tried to turn the military against his own people in Canada and they refused. But the police went along with it, or at least some of them did. He's tried it all, hasn't he? I mean, it's really interesting. We've seen so much happen in Canada over the last four years. I think the truckers really sent a ripple effect, didn't it, to the rest of the world. You're absolutely right. There is a chilling effect, of course. This clamps down on our freedom of speech. But then we have the other side. And thank you, Jim, for talking about you. You'd be prepared to do that for TNT. TNT is indeed a shining beacon out here. And we do really appreciate wonderful guests like you. Truly, we do. This has been Thursday's edition with Jim Ferguson. Jim, you are a brilliant speaker. Absolutely wonderful. A delightful guest. Thank you so much for covering so many areas that I know our viewers, well, they're already jumping up and down. We've got so many comments on all <laughs> platforms. So thank you so much for inspiring such conversation today. This has been, as I say, Thursday's edition of the Sonia Poulton Show. This is the marvellous Jim Ferguson. Do follow him on X. He's a fantastic tweeter. He really is. Like, he's a new discovery to me. And this is a man who has many fingers in many pies when it comes to the information revolution. Have a wonderful day today. Coming up next is Abby Roberts. Stay around. We've got a whole raft of brilliant shows on today's News Talk TNT. I will see you tomorrow. Take excellent care of yourself.